The Fed meeting minutes came out today, and yeah, it was a bit of a yawn, but they did come up with that one big word, restrictive. Wall Street traders decided to sell and lock in some of the profits that we saw over the last five consecutive days. So what does this mean going into December? Well, we're here to tell you all about it. Welcome everyone to Buy, Hold, Sell. I am your trader, Todd Schoenberger, and I'm joined by my friend and fellow co-host, Tobin Smith, out in sunny and cool Scottsdale, Arizona. Got the vest on, brother. Got the vest on. It's below 80. That's when we put yeah, the vest on. Below 80. I think it's going to dip below 70 this weekend. I was checking no, it out. No, 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 no. I don't want to. <laughs> well, we have a very special guest with us today. Erin Gibbs. She is the Chief Investment Officer for Main Street Asset Management, and she is joining the show out of New York City. Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, Erin. Thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, I, I know that you're optimistic on the markets. There's a lot of positivity that's out there right now on Wall Street. Do you think that the what we've seen so far in November is going to carry over into December? I'm certainly very hopeful. I, I, I As I've said before, I really believe that the bond market is the big indicator for what the rest of the markets are going to do, whether it's large cap equities and small caps. And so as long as we keep seeing that 10-year yield going down, at the very least stabilize, that allows for some room for the equities to really grow and, you know, and for us to really think about fundamentals and what's going to do well going into 2024. So while there's still some headwinds, it's certainly not a perfect layup. Uh, the Fed could throw a wrench in at any time. I'm very hopeful at the very least that December will continue this trend uh, and that we could really see some advances farther into next year. Hey, Aaron, you, okay. you said that you were uh, sort of a big quant person, which I love that because uh, that means you look at a bunch of, of different trends, etc. If you're right that, uh, well, first off, do, in, in your analysis, are you looking for a rate cut next year? And if you are, why would they be rated, cutting rates? I'm not looking for a rate cut next year, um, <laughs> or maybe in the second half, certainly, but I think this pause could easily go six to nine months. Um, if not longer, uh, just because we do have such robust employment. Um, mm -hmm. I think we really need to see not only uh, inflation going down, but something that would need to, to be basically getting us close to recession. So something and not just a minor recession or a two quarter recession, but something really more dramatic. Uh, and so I, I don't given that we do have such robust employment, we've still got a lot of people sitting on the sidelines. Um, I mm -hmm. don't see them wanting to come in and necessarily cut rates just yet. Um, at least well into the second half. So, yeah. so you're not you're not nibbling on banks right now. The regional banks, some of these blown up guys. No, I, I though some of them, you know, certainly they're just from a valuations perspective, they look great. But I think you'd want to see um, a little more dovishness comments from the Fed. Um, and mm -hmm. even though they've been, I think they did like 24 speeches in the past two weeks. I mean, they were just every single person on the Fed was yapping yeah. away in the past two weeks. We're still not seeing that language pattern um, that would really say we're we're looking at cuts. So I think, you know, the market needs to still process it. Hmm. But for now, I think there's a lot of other opportunities, even without cuts, uh, that could really help us. And, and just if the markets, not even talking about the Fed, but just simply if the bond markets uh, start basically having that two-year go down, getting rid of the inversion, um, reducing that 10-year, lower mortgage rates, all of this, which doesn't necessarily have to be precipitated by a, a Fed rate cut. 
Yeah. Now, these things could just happen within the markets. That alone could really push us into a good year. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you. Obviously, the Fed does not control the two-year. The market controls the two-year. Exactly. Um, so the, the interesting thing on, on the banks to me is, well, first off, let me tell you about what I use chat GPT now. I take all the Fed speak, and then I throw it into a number of those uh, large language models. And then I ask, are they speaking like they're going to cut rates? And I get some really interesting, you know, actually valuable content out of it because th the only thing those things can do is look at repetition and, and you know, right. and, and have machine learning. They don't know a farking thing. But if you if you would then ask me, go back, let me go bring me back to the Fed speeches when they were starting to get dovish and compare them to today's. They're not dovish. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm building your point, but it's fun to do it like in real time on the. I use Bard more than I use ChatGPT, but because um, it's real time. And then I use Copilot now, the same thing. But try it because it'll. That is know, a really interesting use of ChatGPT, way better than just, you know, being my editor for my weekly commentary. So yes. <laughs> that's fine. Or for me, just writing my entire weekly commentary because it's just a lot easier. I try to do a first pass at least and then throw it in. <laughs> yeah, okay, I do too. I, I do too. <laughs> there you go. So, Aaron, so, I mean, one thing I always like to ask our guests when they come on is Pow has been very specific regarding that 2% target. Do you I think we'll ever hit the 2% target? And if not, then what does that do as far as credibility for the Fed? Yeah, I think eventually we will. I mean, I, it's just a matter of time, right? <laughs> like at some point. Yeah, but we'll why, Aaron? Why, why necessarily that? It's, you know, all the disinflationary things have kept it under 2% are no longer, you know, here anymore. China's not yeah. selling us, you know, $2 Van Hassan shirts. Um, <laughs> and, you know, energy prices higher, uh, input goods higher. I mean, we know energy prices labor are costs volatile, are higher. Can tank. And, and we said, remember, this is just raising prices. Look, if the economy, if global growth slows, it could easily go down to 2%. I, I don't like, I think that, you know, these are cycles and saying that we'll never see 2% in our lifetime. It means that you don't think you're going to live very long. Um, <laughs> I, I, like I you know, I, I think it's just really, for me, it's more a, a matter of time and look, they may adjust it. They may say, you look two and a half is close enough. You know, this, wow. this we're happy with that. Like, the Fed is like they're, as we know, like they like to say they're data dependent. And sometimes you do have to move the target just depending on where you see unemployment. Remember, they've got that dual mandate. So yeah. um, I, I, I think it's perfectly possible. Do I think it's going to happen in 2024? No, not not by any means. Um, and okay. that's as far as I'm willing to do with my forecast. I think 12 <laughs> Is more than enough, far enough out. What, and, yeah, that's, that's, and, and I can respect I'm, that. The but if that does happen, say you, you like you said, two even two and a half percent, if they adjust it on the fly, I do think that that could have a, a neg negative impact on the entire FOMC. But regardless, though, if we don't hit or it does take years to get to that point, then we can completely we we should be able to forecast that we will not be seeing rate cuts anytime soon until we actually hit that magic number. So, right. I mean, we could be years away from something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, but if you remember, Todd, there's also uh, these extraneous, exogenous, still one of my favorite words of all time, you know, macroeconomic issues. You know, they're, they're, the, the Fed put is still there for, yeah. you know, the attack of Taiwan or, you know, Russia breaking through Ukraine and, you know, going into, you know, unimaginable stuff. 18 months ago that is not so unimaginable now. And then, uh, you know, we, I have a, a neighbor here. I, I have a 
sort of walking neighborhood. So I mean, I've met everybody over the years, right? And one of them's the president of the uh, Bank of um, uh, Arizona here, which is part of Utah Bank. Blah blah blah. Anyway, Tommy, how many places did you reclaim this, this week? That was a good week, Toby. We only, uh, only, you know, we only took back about twenty-five properties. The foreclosure rate in these regional banks that were eighty-five percent commercial loans. Now, and I'll give you another one. In in many areas, for instance, the large Phoenix area, I have some investors who are actually really rich people, not because of me, um, and they own. Uh, they've been buying apartments in a partnership that I'm in. Um, you know, they put in. $500 million, I put in 50000 is great. It works really good for me. And we yeah. own a, a lot of apartments here. And this is the first year, year over year, our rents are down about, you know, 7.8%. Huh. Of course, they went up 60, you know, the percent and 35% in some areas. So, I mean, that, so that to me is the, is the big MO right now, is that as we wring out the pandemic excesses, the, things come back to life. The guy who lives, I always talk about the guy who lives in his house down the street for two times what he paid a year ago is sucking his thumb in a corner saying, geez, I can't understand why I don't have any offers. Um, you know, you had to change the mindset too. There's an yeah. inflation mindset and then there's a post-pandemic mindset in my house, God damn it, it's worth three and a half million dollars. Well, not really, Bob, you know, and let the market tell you what it is. And that to me is the benefit of having these higher mortgage rates because it's bringing Perhaps maybe a millennial or heaven forbid, a Gen Z will be able to buy a home once. OK, so, Aaron, going into the holiday season, we always had Jeffrey Hirsch on here. His father coined the phrase the Santa Claus rally before yes. we go to the break. What do you think? Are we going to see a Santa Claus rally? Because if that's the case, we're clearly looking at higher highs of where we are right now. I, I think it's very possible. I think, you know, we've certainly seen the traditional leaders already lead. So all your mega caps, your techs. Um, I think we could get a Santa Claus rally if the positive sentiment continues and we see those smaller caps, not not even just like your Russell 2000, like just the smaller caps within the S&P 500. If you, you mean the S&P 493? That's like yeah, exactly. Favorite, like the, four, the 490. So yeah. if, we, if we see like some of those valuations really come up for, and like mo a lot of them are like well below their five-year lows. If we see that try you know, that breath yeah. um, and that broadening and that yeah, a little breath, give, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, the other 490 stocks um, that could really help with the Santa Claus rally. It doesn't just have to come from your top 10 stocks. Hey, a quick one. I I, I was uh, I had a conversation with Lizanne Saunders today, if we're going to be name dropping. And um, <laughs> we were talking about Kathy Wood coming out with her statement, which I totally friggin agree with, which is basically that that market cap weighted index have completely changed the capital formation structure and, and capital valuation. Any comments? Yeah, I think um, it, it is. It's interesting when you look at, well, particularly with the advent of ETFs and then following those market cap weighted. I mean, yes. it's really about that, that, you know, so much of the institutional money just has to follow these, these large stocks and you can, you know, track an index without owning essentially the bottom. 10% because it really won't affect your your indexing. Um, so yeah, it's been look, it's it's great in some ways because the the consumer can essentially buy an index for a couple bips. You know, you're not yeah. paying gigantic fees, there's transparency. Um, but yeah, it really has changed the importance of these mega caps, these leaders. Well, I would just, I mean, the thing that gets me is I always run every day, you know, the Equal weighted S&P, the equal weighted NASDAQ, and then the QQQ and the S&P 500. And as long as the as the magn you know, magnificent, let's call it 10, I think it's a good point. Um, I, I still don't count Apple. love Apple. It's just that it, 
you know, for a variety of reasons, is not growing anywhere near what it used to. But when I look at it every day, basically I say, listen, if the if the QQQ, the weighted, is over yeah. the non-weighted QQQ, then I'm long, not only QQQ, but I'm long futures, I'm long uh, options with it, I'm juicing that. Because when you go back over the last four years, 10 years, you know, et cetera, every time the market caps stay above just the equal cap, that means it's hoovering up the, you know, the marginal buyer, the marginal buyer, the person who's the, you know, the price indifferent buyer is buying those things because they're going up. They don't care if it's QQQ or FYZ, but their automatic system, their robots, their quant system, whatever says, you know, we're buying momentum until it doesn't work. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think fortunately, you know, that offers opportunities that if you're willing to be a little contrarian and you, mm -hmm. when you look at some of the extremes, because right now between you know, the S&P market index and then the equal weight, there's like a 12% spread yeah. on year-to-date returns. And, you know, you just have to go back historically and say, hey, when there's 12% difference, like there's a misprice and that, you know, gets resolved. And it may be, you know, two months down the road, it may be three months down the road, but it, it may still, you know, never fully recover for another year and a half. But, and also just, you know, small caps lagging for two years, is just an extraordinarily long period of time for it to be underperforming by 13, 15 Well, quickly, Aaron, my thesis is completely different. My thesis is, is that when the top 40 stocks, technology stocks, almost all are subscription-based repeating uh, income with a completely different business models, much higher gross margins than we've ever had in, you know, 80s, 90s, 2000s even, that because of the much higher margins, the higher EPS, the recurring revenue, less cyclical, to me, it makes sense that those stocks should be at higher values. And the ones that are cyclical should be at lower because they don't have, you know, they don't have a SaaS lock-in. You can't just stop your service now or your sales force tomorrow and, and, and when you have, you know, 5,500 employees on it. Um, yeah, so I agree to a certain extent, but then that doesn't make necessarily make sense because you can have smaller companies that similar have similar margins, similar type of revenue streams that are small caps, just, you know, smaller growth companies. And it's just because growth is being discounted because of the interest rates. And so that's why I'm saying that there are opportunities. I'm not saying buy poor quality companies or that you necessarily need to be sticking with, you know, dividend based value stocks. But I think that there are really dispersions because right now investors are so concerned about quality and for them, or at least right now, quality is these mega cap names. Yeah. These, these big names that you know, that you feel comfortable with, whereas there are high quality companies out there that just aren't as well known. And that's where it presents an opportunity. All right. Well, maybe you'll give us a few. <laughs> well, hold on. Before we get into that, let's leave it there on this block because we'll tease that for the next block. There you go, Todd. I'm just giving Absolutely. you a layup. I'm just I love it. That was that was an alley oop. Absolutely. So so coming up next uh, after the break, we are going to be asking Erin about her favorite uh, picks. Or uh, also, we'll talk about her favorite sectors and maybe it's some some other great surprises. So you definitely want to stay with us. So with us today, Erin Gibbs. She is the CIO at Main Street Asset Management out of New York City, and we'll be right back after the break. Buy, hold, sell, brought to you by Crosscheck Management. On any given day in Washington, policy proposals are created, debated, and decimated by tens of thousands of people and organizations working behind the scenes. 
On 80 Proof Politics, a guest and I will visit a D.C. watering hole and distill the art of advocacy by pulling back the curtain a bit and taking a look at how they play their part in the sausage factory we call our federal government. So if you're at all interested in how the sausage is made, pull up a chair, grab a drink, and join us. After all, what goes better with sausage than a tall, cold one? In a world where secrets have consequences and lies can't be hidden forever, immerse yourself in the gripping new thriller No Lie Lifts Forever by Todd M. Schoenberger. Join Wall Street hedge fund manager Travis Carmichael as he delves deeper into a web of corruption and conspiracy, finding himself entangled in a high-stakes game where souls are at stake, and trust is a luxury he can't afford. Critics and readers can't get enough of this heart-pounding page-turner, calling it a masterfully crafted suspense novel that will leave you breathless. No Lie Lives Forever is a masterfully crafted thriller that will leave you guessing until the very end. With its intricate plot twists and unforgettable characters, this is a must-read for fans of suspense and mystery. From the mind of acclaimed author Todd M. Schoenberger comes a novel that will challenge your perceptions and keep you turning the pages late into the night. Critics and readers alike can't get enough of No Lie Lives Forever. It's been hailed as a gripping roller coaster ride, a true page turner that will leave you breathless. Don't miss your chance to uncover the truth. Immerse yourself in the suspenseful world of No Lie Lives Forever by Todd M. Schoenberger. Available now on Amazon and at finer bookstores near you. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. Hey, this is Jeff Hurst, Editor-in-Chief of the Stock Traders Almanac. you got to listen to Todd and Toby on Buy, Hold, Sell. Welcome back to Buy, Hold, Sell. Well, all three major indices were down today, but not by that much. We actually stopped or snapped the five-day of five consecutive winning days we've seen on Wall Street. But after the Fed minutes came out, a little bit of pessimism, pessimism, but nothing that's probably going to stay for the long term. Welcome. Well, we have Aaron with us today, Aaron Gibbs. She is the easy CIO of Main Street Asset Management. I know, I'm all tongue-tied today. Yeah. It's Thanksgiving week. I mean, there's so much celebrating to go around. But uh, Aaron, I do want to talk to you a little bit about sectors. I know that you follow the tech sector. One key company that came out with earnings after the bell today was NVIDIA. And they had a clear beat. The stock is selling off a little bit after hours, but not too much. But what's your take? Put options are making money. Put options are making money. They're actually, the stock is down almost 1% as of right now. Yeah, not a big, big deal. So, uh, but only because the only negative story that they had was that they might see a um, a bit of a downturn in the next quarter, only because of what's taking place in China. Hardly a big deal. AI chips are the big thing, and they obviously are cornering the market. But Aaron, going forward, what's your take on the tech sector? Is this a place that everybody should be a part of? I know Toby's really big on it. I'm big on it. What's your take? No, I think today's report, I mean, and NVIDIA really is the best of breed within this AI yeah. space. I mean, they are the they, they they have the margins, they're consistent, they consistently beat, they've got that earnings quality. So 
You and want, they got the software that, too, Aaron. I mean, that's and the software. So, so when you want the best of you want you want the best of breed to be doing well, and if their report was really negative, then I'd say, yeah, get out because if the best can't do it, then who who else is? Type of thing. Um, yeah, so right. I think is the, them being the leader as long as they're still doing well. I think there's a lot of opportunity. Obviously, the sentiment's very very good around it but i think you know nvidia is just showing us what it can do and i know that people do say it is expensive but when you look at it i mean it's trading at 32 times for 32 price. times this is actually a three-year low when you look yes. at situations um so though the stock might be down a little today i certainly expect the trend to continue upward i really don't see any big headwinds for for this kind of company that's delivering these kind of results so aaron sort of the um you know, the backup plays here, number two, number three are AMD uh, because they have their own GPU chip that they're coming out. Intel, excuse me, I, I haven't said the name in so long, I can't remember. Um, Intel actually now has a foundry business and now they actually have their own. It, it feels to me that when we talked with the big uh, hyperscalers that they didn't have any choice for, you know, 18 months. The NVIDIA chip, because it had the CUDA software system, it, it, if you didn't have it, you didn't have hyperscaler. So it looks to me like we own AMD, we own uh, Intel for a variety of reasons, but we really own uh, Taiwan Semiconductor because they they make all those uh, all those chips and and the more we get in there and then the, and the other threat I guess against GPUs is that larger companies are starting to say hey if we're going to do all this work on the GPU on the front end of that LLM that's where it gets so expensive can we have some software solutions and we're tracking some companies now they're bringing some actually even Oracle is bringing a great software solution on their data center that's all Nvidia but they put together a software system that that preps structures the data first so that the system doesn't have to spin around at those, you know, what, eight trillion, eight trillion judgments per second. I mean, that sounds like me and the, you know, asking for a date when I was a sophomore. Uh, <laughs> but the idea that that software is now has to come in and take some of the load off these GPUs to me is it's getting pretty interesting. Okay. Yeah, and look, so, your your fundamental knowledge is way like I said, I'm I'm more of a quant, so I can talk more about your balance sheets and ROIs and relative cool. value types of things. Um I think that insight is is phenomenal. But it's like I said, I, I really use NVIDIA as that that leading indicator of the space and, and where the bar is set for the rest right. of the well, how about SMCI, for instance, the biggest NVIDIA buyer? Um, they they're the ones who build the, the supercomputer racks that they sell about 150 of a week to go into all the data centers. Have you looked at that company? No, not yet. Great okay. numbers, great valuation, great growth, great margins. Um, that's our second biggest position because I'm talking my book here. But it, you know, there's a reason why. But it's you talk about valuation on four valuations, 18 PE. I mean, that's phenomenal. I mean, that's lower than the index. Yeah, I, exactly. for me, that's that's you know, I'd have to say I just checked their balance sheet. You know, you're always worried about debt. Um, but as long as you've got those margins and that cash flow, like that's exactly what you want when you're looking for, you know, a new company coming in. Well, I'll give you an anecdote. I flew into San Jose and drove to a client in Fremont. And as I'm going down that 118 or up the 118 freeway, every damn building going from San Jose all the way into Fremont was an SMCI building. I, I had never seen, I remember when Apple during the day, you'd drive through, you know, Cupertino, you'd see Apple, 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 Schmapple, Schmapple. But this was SMCI everywhere. They added 150,000 square feet in the last year because of demand. I like that. I like that. Sparks just reporting right now that they are preparing their San Francisco offices for 
uh, open AI employees. So it, it remains to be seen how many people actually jump ship and go over to Microsoft. But Aaron, let's let's pivot out of this though on the tech side because I know you're you're a fan of tech. But what other sectors are um, are you a big fan of? So I really like some of the 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 specialty retailers going into Christmas and the the Santa Claus rally as we get um into it. And this is really a mostly has to do with valuation bases. Um, the industry is trading at 12 times forward. Again, another year, five year low. I think there's so much negative sentiment around the U.S. consumer. You know, we've just been hearing the inflation story and, you know, Chris Thanksgiving, <laughs> nobody can afford Thanksgiving dinner, so on and so forth. These guys are getting hit. It's not that every single stock in the space is a winner. I definitely, you know, the home builders, the Lowe's, the uh, home builders, yeah. not your winners. Those Correct. Um, but I think some some of the qualities like your off-price discounters, like your Ross stores, your TJ Maxx, some of your apparels that really have a unique brand, great cash shows like your Lululemon, your Deckers, who sells Uggs. I, I think that we have seen the strength of this U.S. consumer. We actually do know they have been willing to spend. And I think also as long as there is this freeze within the housing market, because people are locked in, you're seeing younger people locked out from houses, they are still spending their money. Yeah. And we are seeing that some of it is actually going towards not just experiences, but apparel and stuff. They're buying stuff again. Um, and so I think that underestimating the U.S. consumer has generally been a poor uh, decision yeah. and often has gone the wrong way. And so I think that's one area. And just those are some of my picks that specialty retail could do really well for the next month, even into to the next quarter. Now, you know that Deckers also makes the Hoka shoe. Oh, right. And the Hoka shoes. Yes. And the Hoka shoe is the hottest shoe, you know, on the market. Um, based on my early morning runs, my, uh, my uh, what do I got on here? I have my AFCI. The Hoka's kicking my ass. I see more Hoka's out there than than the, and, and my wife will only wear the Hoka's. I, I didn't realize until about six months ago that Decker was the one who brought them out. So I'm, I went they down that, they, they should really reban their name. But yeah, you know, it's, it sounds <laughs> you hokey, have to mention like all the brands like, oh, yeah, they make that too. So but yeah, yeah. but yeah, another company doing really well and has those unique products that people are willing to pay up for. You know, these are these are not cheap shoes they, and they don't even have to discount them. So yeah. um, I would go the contrary indicator too. Uh at our Discord trading room, uh, I have a couple of real know-it-all guys who I love, but they're know-it-alls. And uh they're are they named Toby? <laughs> no, they're named Eddie Carter and a couple of them. And, oh, wow. um, and they try to be a bigger know-it-all than me, it never works. But the the issue is they, Eddie was talking about today about how this how shipping, freight shipping has been falling off a cliff. And what I tried to point out to Mr. Know-it-all is that the consumer doesn't buy freight. The consumer after the pandemic goes to Amazon or goes to and or orders on an e-commerce platform. And those are parcels. And the parcel business are hitting records in terms of unit volume. Freight, we bought all the freaking, look at this house. We brought all the new furniture and four TVs and ate this. And, you know, those all get delivered by freight to Best Buy. You don't, you know, you don't, Amazon doesn't show up and bring it to your house every day. Um, so that's my indicator to support your point, Aaron, that, that parcels uh, are are staying very strong. Yep. And then, of course, Todd's heard this from a million times. But since the top 25 percent of all households can, are now 78 percent of, of optional discretionary buying, those 
25% are doing really good. Uh, so, or well, excuse me, bet, bet, yeah. betting this time. And, and to the same point also, you know, anything that you have to finance. So, you know, these big purchases that you might finance, like, you know, cars, even yeah. you know, refrigerator, that type of thing, anything that's installment payments, those are the ones that are going to do the best. Also, you know, and again, again, anything that has to do with the home, it's these smaller purchases that are people are really willing to spend up. Um, and, and we even see that trickle into some of the luxury brands where, suddenly people are willing to buy a $2,000, $3,000 handbag that they wouldn't have considered just three years ago. Cause you know, they bought the expensive vacation. They're not yeah. buying a house. Let me go buy the handbag. That's interesting. Right. So in other words, the money that I wouldn't be putting into this ridiculous mortgage, I now have more discretionary income than I haven't had in a long time. So yes. let's be discretionary. Yeah. Kate Spade, is Kate Spade going to do okay? Tapestry, all those guys? I, I think, I think of those, uh, the affordable luxury brands still struggle. I think what's happened is, and, and we've seen this in sales, that people just jump up to the luxury brand. They really want mm. that status. And so Kate Spade doesn't quite have it, but you can buy a $2,000 handbag from Mise Saint Laurent type of thing. And so wow. rather than buying the $500 handbag, they just jump to that one level higher. Todd, I'm going to make sure that Marjorie does not see this episode. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. And I probably am talking too much about handbags for a finance show, but it's just no, 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 I levels. <laughs> no, this is great, actually. No, yeah. and I know our audience likes it too. Yeah, we mostly have a testosterone-loaded show, so it's always great to get you know some from actually understand something other than killing people. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, so what about that's on the retail side, though? What about the big box retailers? I mean, yeah, Best Buy come out today, they're warning, obviously, Lowe's came out, they were, they're a big loser right now. But what about Target and Walmart? I mean, those numbers, Walmart has already warned, but Target seemed to be more optimistic going forward. What's your take? You know, I'm an avoid only because Target is slightly different, but um, one, they don't have those unique offerings that some of these these brand names that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Walmart, we know that a huge portion of their income is groceries. Food. Um, yeah, it's it's really they're just, you know, the biggest grocery store in America. So I I don't see that growing. I think they're still going to have inflationary pressures and, and you know, different a, a lot of constraints and headwinds going into it. So well, except they've hit a 52 week high every week for the last eight weeks, uh, a new high, new 52 week high, which people are eating more. Yeah. They, well, the bad, I mean, they're taking the GLP one inhibitors, but they're going to another store. OK, here they're come, come to our local come to our local Trader Joe's. I've yes. never seen stores more crowded in my life. Oh. Tell me about it. I was at a Trader Joe's on Saturday. It was jam-packed. It was worse than the track. Couldn't get over how crowded it was. It was worse than the track. Come on, come on. See, I'm been in a grocery store green like chili salsa. Green chili salsa to win. <laughs> Nuts. All right, so one one last size sector. I got to ask you this: travel and leisure. Any thoughts on the travel and leisure index? We had um Sylvia Jablonski on last week. She's from Defiant ETFs. She seems to be a big fan. She was looking at forecasts from not just Thanksgiving, but going forward. And she's a big fan of the airlines. Do you have an opinion on it? Right. Well, I, I think is you know, airlines, um, regardless of just how much people are willing to spend and travel, you know that they're so correlated with oil prices. Yeah. 
So as as long as they've as oil's going down, it's that's an easy like an easy call. I and certainly when you look at more of the like the online travel, like your bookers, like your Expedia's booking.com, um, they're they're certainly hitting getting close to fair valuation. Um, whether the US consumer continues to to do, spend on travel, you know, I, I think it's a little questionable. Is it is it gonna be an outperformer versus the index? Uh, it's getting close. To me, it's getting close to fair valuation. But airlines is a special case because it's just it's really an oil play at this point. Yeah. And, and also, obviously, the cost per mile with the new labor agreements um, yeah. is up 14 and a half percent. And, you know, they've raised prices. But I'm with you there. I, I've never been an airline fan unless weird stuff happens. Like, you know, unfortunately, after 9-11 or after the invasion, I mean, there's things that, that just people sell these things automatically for no reason. And right. to, to, and those to are, me... They- yeah, those are easy trades. So, you those know, those are easy trades. Yeah. Any escalation and, you know, between Ukraine, you know, the yes. down, you can buy. I mean, I mean, I mean again, this is, I, I'm not not in favor of invasions or pandemics yes. or things. I'm exactly. just saying is that if you've done this long enough, you know that when you have these just out of the blue dislocations, that are non-repetitive or one-time events, and people sell things because you know it's all fear. It's either fear of losing yeah, money it's or a, fear it's of it's a fear money. trade. It's a fear yeah. trade, and you can make money because you know fear is usually an overreaction type of thing. Yeah, absolutely, cool. Really well, I like that a lot, guys. All right, well, we're going to leave it there. So, I just I uh, want to thank you, Aaron, for joining us today. I know I uh, with a with the busy Thanksgiving week. I know take you take taking the time today. Oh, she's really from good. New York, Todd. It's all being delivered from Zay Bars. So, you know, don't. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, we have delivery. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we don't go yeah. to grocery stores. She's long DoorDash, okay? Not only does she own the stock, she's a customer. Fresh Direct. I mean, fresh, long term, fresh. Oh, direct. Fresh Direct. Okay. There fresh you go. Direct. Fresh Direct. Yeah, That's right. I That's right. No, I don't go to grocery stores. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. It's New York, Todd. You used to live there. What are you now? Did you forget? I, Fresh Direct. Fresh Direct was the way to go. You always had yeah. your, your groceries delivered. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we want to uh, we want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. We, uh, we're we so thankful that, that you join us uh, for our shows. And uh, we really do uh, enjoy uh, giving you the entertainment as well as the knowledge as well. So, uh, so we want to thank everybody. So, Aaron, yes. thanks again for joining us today on Buy, Hold, Sell. We'd love to have you back on. And uh, definitely as we get into uh, 2024, and there's a lot to look forward to there as well. So on behalf of Aaron Gibbs and Tobin Smith, I am Todd Schoenberger. Thank you once again for joining us on Buy, Hold, Sell. Take care. Buy, Hold, Sell brought to you by Crosscheck Management. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.